Well, good morning. I've sung some wonderful words already this morning and trust that our hearts will be encouraged already at this point in the service. But let's just ask the Lord to guide our thoughts and our, our meditation this morning in the Word of God. Father, we just, uh, I guess we want to repeat what we've just been singing. Um, you're altogether lovely, altogether wonderful, altogether worthy. And so we just are here this morning because we want to hear you speak. And we're well aware that there's no human instrument that can give us what we need for the week to come. And so we're just looking to you to speak to us by your spirit. Help us to just put away all distractions and to have hearts and to have ears that are open to what you have to say to us. So we pray all of this asking expectantly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Several years ago, a study was done. In some ways, it feels a little bit like a cruel study. Um, they took scientists, psychiatrists, I guess, took individuals and they ran them through an MRI machine. Now, some of you will be familiar with MRI machines, maybe some of you too familiar with MRI machines. But they were put through this uh, donut-like, sausage-like thing on a, on a bed. And um, while they were in there under examination, um, they were given a picture of someone who had hurt them deeply, who had, they'd, they'd gone through some kind of a breakup in a relationship, some kind of rejection. And it was, it was held there and they were asked to recall um, their experience and their memory of what took place. And they recorded and observed um, something pretty amazing. And this was what they observed. They, they discovered that the same area of the brain that responds when there's physical pain um, responded when, when they recalled these, these experiences of, of rejection and an emotional breakup in a relationship. So you spill coffee on your arm and you react a certain way, the brain signals a certain way. Um, the same part of the brain responded when, when some kind of a physical, or rather a social breakup took place. And it really affirmed and reaffirmed what we've probably all known that, that rejection hurts, that being um, socially set apart hurts when we are, when we are um, in a relationship and something happens and, and we, are, we are ignored, we are uh, excluded, we are pushed away from uh, something, there's, there's an experience, there's pain, and it's probably fair to say that there's many in the room here this morning that you might say have scars that go back, and they're not physical scars, but they're certainly emotional, go back to some kind of experience in, in part of your life, and maybe you're not wanting to think about that this morning, but, but hard things, things that have hurt um, whether it's in a family relationship, maybe it's being passed over for a job, maybe it's something on social media, whatever it is, um, the, the research bears out, I think, what we all know, that, that being rejected is a painful thing. So now the question, 
why all about why all of this on rejection um, when we're in this beautiful Advent season and we're thinking about the birth of the Lord Jesus. Um, the reality is, I had to think about that myself when I was given the the theme and the passage for this morning uh, by the leadership here. Uh, the the theme, as as you know, you've been going through these different contrasting themes of of. Um, was well, as Glenn already mentioned them this morning, but the suffering and joy and so on. Well, this morning I was given the theme of rejection and love, and I was given the passage that Elaine read for us this morning. And I remember reading it a few weeks back, and just actually when I got it initially, and then a few weeks back is just I wanted things to start percolating, and I read through it, and I thought. You know, I don't see a lot here in this account of Gabriel coming to Mary and, and uh, this whole Mary's Magnificat, the song of worship that she responds. I don't see much here about rejection and love. And so I prayed one of those, kind of like Peter prayed, help, Lord. You know, I'm sinking. I prayed one of those prayers, help, Lord. Uh, I'm supposed to preach on this, and, and I don't see the connection. I think the Lord gave help. Um, in response to my prayer. And so why do we bring up rejection in the context of this fourth Sunday of Advent? Let me, ask, let me ask this question. Why was it that Mary fled to the home of Elizabeth in the account that we just read? Why was it that, that Mary's first reaction midway through this passage in Luke chapter 1 was as it says in verse 39, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. What's going on here? Well, I think, I think we need to put ourselves to answer that question into Mary's shoes. Now that may, be, that may be hard for some of us guys who are in our 50s to put ourselves into the shoes of, a, of an unwed teenage Jewish girl, but but go with me here uh, for a moment as we, as we think about this. Mary has just received the news from Gabriel that, that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. No doubt, if, if we think about this with any humanity at all, we have to think that Mary at some point thought, oh no, how am I going to tell this to Joseph? how am I going to talk to my parents about this? Now, now think with me about that conversation at the table when Mary sits down with her parents, they're having a meal together and there's a little bit of silence and so Mary says, uh, mom and dad, I have, I have something to, to tell you. Oh, go ahead. Um, well, it's, it's pretty big news. Um, I think I'm pregnant. Oh no, you know, whatever parents would say in that situation. Um, and, and then she goes further and she says, Yeah, she said, um, I had a visit from an angel, Gabriel, earlier today. And um, he said, I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. And, and mom and dad are like, Oh, Mary, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Just tell us the truth. I mean, as, as difficult as this is for parents, oh, just tell us the truth. Mary's like, it's true, and it goes further. 
it's actually the, the Holy Spirit that's going to make me pregnant. Oh, Mary. You can imagine just the, the reaction to that. And then think of, think of the next conversation, or maybe it would be the first conversation she would have had. Joseph, Joseph, we, we better sit down to have this conversation. This is going to be a tough one. Uh, Joseph, I, I think I'm pregnant. Joseph, obviously, again, think about this from the natural. They don't have this story of the virgin birth kind of in their background. So, so Joseph immediately is thinking, she's been unfaithful. Who, who is it? And right away, you know, his mind is going in that direction. It's not going to be much of a relief to him for Mary to carry on with her story. Well, actually, I had, a, I had the visit from the angel, and I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah, and it's actually the Holy Spirit that's making me pregnant. Now, thankfully, we know, based on Matthew 1, that Mary didn't have to have that conversation, or at least not in that way, with Joseph, because Gabriel came to Joseph directly and mercifully um, for, for that reason. But, but these relationships and, and this explanation, so on one hand, we've got this joyful news that Mary, we read about this morning, but in the background, we've got all of these relationships, these heartbreaking relationships. And, and then think of that moment that most uh, mothers um, look forward to when they get to go out in public and they get to show off their baby bump and uh, and. and it's a joyful, you know, all the questions and everything and when is it due and, and so on. And so, again, Mary would be thinking in, her, in, in terms of, oh, here it goes again. Um, yeah, tell the whole story again. And the response of her friend, oh, Mary, like, you, not, only, not only do we not believe you, you've lost your mind. And, and there would have been this rejection and, and, and disconnect, this pushing away and, and so why did Mary go to Elizabeth's home? It's likely because Elizabeth was the only one in the face of the earth that would have believed her. She's, she's Elizabeth, we, we read it here, and, and if we go back to chap, earlier in chapter 1, we see the backstory. story, but, but Elizabeth's husband had been visited by the same angel and had been given an announcement about a son being born and that he'd be great. And, and Mary, or rather Elizabeth, already was pregnant uh, and well advanced, or it's at least six months pregnant with, with this, you might say, this miracle child because, because Elizabeth was an old, old lady at this point and her husband Zacharias was an old, old man and so this was kind of like an, a miracle birth, not kind of like it was in the same vein as Abraham and Sarah's experience where, where God came in and enabled this child uh, to be born through uh, an old, old couple. And so you can imagine, um, so you can imagine or at least understand in some ways in some part why it is that Mary fled to Elizabeth's home. But here's the second question. Why is none of this recorded in this passage? I read through this, and this is why I was having a bit of a challenge preparing originally, think, where's the rejection? It's not here. It's not mentioned. But what is mentioned and what is highlighted 
is, is something else. If you have your Bibles open, if you don't, um, we're back in this passage that we, were, we read earlier, but three times over something is, is said. Notice this in verse 28. The angel went to her, to Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Underline those words, you who are highly favored. Verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Underline that word, favor. And then when Elizabeth responds to Mary, when Mary came to her home, Elizabeth responds and, and she says in, in a loud voice, this is verse 42, in, in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This word favored, this, this idea of being favored, what does it mean? Well, I went to the dictionary looking it up because it's repeated a few times in this passage. And this is what the, the definition in part is. You could take it a number of different directions, but it's this. It's to be accepted. It's to be pursued with grace. It's to be endued with honor. I love those, those composite, or that composite definition, those three parts. It's to be accepted. It's to be pursued with grace. It's to be endued with honor. Mary, Gabriel is saying, you've been accepted by God. You have been pursued with grace. You have been endued. You've been clothed with honor. Mary, you are, you are, let's not talk about the rejection that you're, you have been and you are the object of heaven's affection. You are loved, you are cherished, you are honored, and you among all uh, Jewish women have been given the privilege of being the mother of the child of God, the son of God. This is, this is a thing of honor, this is a, a, a role of honor. And Mary understood that. She responds in this Magnificat, this song of worship, and she responds beautifully. She said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? He has, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. Why? For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. So interesting, isn't it? In the backdrop of what, what was likely many, many human relationships that would be, she'd be facing all kinds of things and questions and rejection, social upheaval for sure. And, and yet that's not what the scriptures highlight. What they highlight is the favor that she has with God, the, the blessing of, of being uh, pursued with grace and endued with honor. And you can be sure that nine months after this event, when she holds this baby in her arms, this would have been a deeply personal and a significant moment as, as, as she held this baby and she's like, here's the evidence that I have been blessed by God. She, she knew that this was a virgin birth and she would have held this baby. His promise has been filled, fulfilled. Um, 
I've been blessed by God. I've been pursued with grace. I've been dued with honor. What a, what a privilege to be the mother of my Lord. Uh, what a moment that was. You, you can only imagine. But then I, then I ask myself the question, and for us, for our benefit here 2,000 years later, well, what about the rest of us? I mean, that was a beautiful moment. We can imagine it was a beautiful moment for Mary, and, and even, I'm sure, by that point, Joseph was on board, and they would have, they would have worshipped as they, as they recognized just what God had done. What about the rest of us here? Well, the point is, as, as we look at this babe in the manger through the eye of faith, we can have the same response as Mary. Hopefully we'll bear that and explain that in a, as we go on here, but we can look at this babe in the manger and, and we can respond and say, oh, we, we, we too have been accepted. We, we too have been pursued with grace. We, we too have, have um, been clothed with, with honor from, from heaven. Well, how do we, how do we say this? Why do we say this? Listen, listen to these verses. This is from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. Actually, the end of verse 8 says this, God is love. God is love. And then the next verse says this, this is how God showed his love among us. How did he do it? He sent his one and only son. This is how God communicated. This is how God showed his love. He sent his one and only son. Maybe a more well-known verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. How did he love the world? He gave his only begotten or one and only son. Another great verse in, in John 1. No one has ever seen God but the unique one, speaking of Jesus, the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. And another translation, or at least a paraphrase, puts it this way. He who was closest to the heart of God has come and brought God's heart out into the open. He has put God's heart on display. Hebrews 1, chapter 1, I think it's the second verse, or the first verse that actually says, you know, God in various times and in various ways, he's, sto- he's spoken to us um, through the fa- or to the fathers, through the prophets. But in these last days, the days we're in, he's spoken by his son. And so, so when we take a look at this babe in the manger, the, the message, the goes so much beyond just the personal uh, moment that Mary and Joseph had. But 2,000 years later, we are to look at the babe in the manger and understand God is speaking. God is communicating to us his love for, for us. And, and how would that actually be worked out? Well, we, we, we have the benefit of knowing the, the rest of the story. He came into this world damaged by sin, part of a humanity that he created that rebelled against him and, and continues to rebel against him. And he came to, to purchase us, to rescue us out of the slave market, out of the bondage of sin. 
We sang it in one of our earlier songs this, uh, this morning, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God incarnate, here to dwell. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, praise his name. Emmanuel, the Son of God, listen, the Son of God here born to bleed. A crown of thorns would pierce his brow. It's an amazing thing to, to try to wrap our minds around the thought of, of sending your son in, as a baby into a world that would ultimately crucify him. A couple of weeks ago, I was having a Bible study with a, a friend of mine, relatively new believer, and we're working our way through Matthew. We got to the part where Herod uh, sent out this edict that he was supposed to or that they were supposed to kill all of the sons of Bethlehem under a certain age, and that was to try to make sure that this uh, so-called king of the Jews would be taken out in that same, in that same, under that same edict. And, and the friend of mine, David, he responded to that passage as we were reading it, and he said, he said, that is so evil. Um, and, and then he said, I, I can't believe that, that God would send his son into the, this kind of a world and face this kind of evil. And then a minute later, kind of the light bulb went on and he's like, and he did that for me. He did that for me. He, he came to rescue me. He, he did it out of love for me. Sometimes we sing this song and it's always, there's a few of those Christmas songs that kind of captivate the imagination. How many kings step down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? And the answer is only one did that for me. I think of that line, how many kings step down off their throne. I don't know what kind of an imagination you carry along up here, but sometimes I try to imagine the scene in heaven, say eight and a half, no, say nine months before the birth of the Lord Jesus. You're, you're there and the angelic hosts, we have it described for us in Isaiah 6, the seraphim, they've covered their, their face with their wings, they've covered their feet, they're bowed down in worship, and they're calling out to e back and forth to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're, they're worshiping the, the Son of God uh, on the throne and they're, they're bowed in this worship, and this is something that's been going on ever since the angelic hosts were created. And can you imagine that moment when, when the royal son of God, he stepped down off his throne? I don't know, at what point did the, did the anthem of worship kind of subdue and, and go to a quiet hush? I don't know what the Son of God said to his Father as he left the heavenly throne room. But imagine the angelic hosts as they, as they watched this exalted Son make a journey that would, 
would ultimately end up in the, the womb of this Jewish virgin. And, and then eventually, you know, as, as they watched this progress and they watched this little baby being formed in the virgin's womb, nine months later, uh, the baby Jesus born in the stable. And, and you can almost imagine um, just the, the, the pulse, the overflow as, as these angels burst on the scene where the shepherds are just outside of uh, Bethlehem. And you can, you can imagine these, again, I'm imagining, but these angelic chests just like just beating and they're just overflowing with worship as they, they say glory to God in the highest and, and, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor dwells. And, and they must have thought to themselves, finally, at least, at least he's come out into the open so that everyone can see who this is and what he's like. But fast forwarding, but think what these angels must have been watching and what they would have been thinking as they saw this, this son of God who they had spent how long worshiping? They saw him at the center of a crowd, crucify him, crucify him. They, they saw him take his cross and head up towards that hill outside of, of Jerusalem. You have to think that, that the forces of heaven's armies were, were just being restrained by the word of God. These, these mighty cherubs, these fierce defenders of the righteousness of God, uh, any one of them would have been first in line to, to go with his sword and to rescue the, the exalted Son of God. One cherub was, was, had no problem to wipe out an Assyrian army. You've got to think, that this host of heaven's armies was, was waiting for the word to be unleashed. They would go in, they would wipe out the crowd that was calling for his crucifixion. They would have decimated the Roman army. They would have swooped in. They would have caught up the Son of God, brought him back to where he belonged. But that's not what happened. He died alone for you and for me. God so loved the world that he gave his only son not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. What was God doing? Why, why all of this story? What, what's it all about? If we could boil down the, the big picture, this love story, really the essence of it is this. God so loved his son and he, and, and he wants heaven to be filled with more like him. And, and his, his intention is not just to, to save us from hell so we can go on our merry way. No, he wants us to be, he wants us to be with him. He wants heaven to be filled with his children. And so there are verses all the way through the New Testament and again and again that, that speak about this fact that 
For example, Galatians 4 talks about that at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law. Why? So that he could make us his sons. That we could be heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We would be brought into the family. John says again, this is in 1 John 3, Behold or see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we, we, we should be called the children of God. That's what we are. The world doesn't know it. It didn't know him. But we, now we are children of God. What we have, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him for we will be with him as he is that's what God is doing he's wanting to rescue us from our sin restore the relationship so that we can be brought into the family and enjoy sonship to be his forever John says it again this is in John 1 as many as received him speaking of Jesus to them he gave the right to be children of God even to those who believe on his name. There is a a responsibility. There is a response. It's not just by hanging out with the right crowd of people on Sundays that that, uh, we can somehow enter into the good of this. There's a a personal response that is required where we respond and we we receive. We, We recognize the Lord Jesus for who he is, recognize that he is this love gift sent from the Father, sent to rescue us. We receive, we respond by faith, take him as our Savior, uh, own him as our, uh, our Lord, our King, and, and give our lives over to him and to those who accept the Son. Heaven accepts us, and uh, we become part of the family of God. This is, this is the story of Christmas. This is, the, this is the story of the nativity, at least the whole story. And so... It's interesting, isn't it, that this account of Mary doesn't really say anything about rejection and being, you know, hurt by all of the all of these difficult social realities that she's going to be facing. It seems that the writer here in Luke wants to emphasize Mary was blessed by God. She was, she was the object of heaven's affection. She was, she was pursued by grace. And I think the point is that we too are, are in, even in the midst of all kinds of disappointments and heartaches and no doubt your Christmas is going to be different than my Christmas or than what you expected it to be just as our Christmas will probably be different. And there's so many dynamics at play and and some people don't want us to be with other you know I don't have to repeat it all but let's keep that in the background as we remember the message of this fourth advent Sunday God has come into our world to replace this rejection and this abandonment that is so prevalent in our world he's come to communicate he loves us it desires a relationship with us, wants us to be in his family forever and forever. I remember the experience years ago 
living in Colorado, and I loved having the mountains right beside us out our back window, really. But why I found it so convenient was because everywhere we went, the mountains were our fixed reference point. And so if we were heading away, it was off to church, the mountains were in the background. If we were heading north, the mountains were to the, to the left, and you know how it goes. And so everywhere, coming out of the mall, you would, you would identify your car based on where the mountains were. It was just this, you couldn't help but, but reference everything based on the mountains. Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, he said, in the same way that the Father loves me, I love you. That's an amazing statement. And then he said, remain or stay there in my love, abide in my love. In other words, make my love your fixed reference point. Whatever else is going on in your world, in my world, let's, let's, let's circle back to the love of God in Christ Jesus. He loved me, Paul said, and gave himself for me. And so let's be encouraged this Christmas season. The backdrop of everything else that's going on, we have a God in heaven who came all the way to a baby's manger and ultimately to the cross of Calvary to communicate his love for you and for me. So let's be encouraged. I'm well aware as we close this morning that there may be some of you sitting here thinking, Randy, um, I didn't need an MRI and a scientific experiment to, to tell you or to, to be able to affirm, yeah, it hurts. Um, there are things that, that hurt when it comes to relationships and life experiences, human experiences. Um, and so may we be encouraged by, by this fact that we have a God who is communicating to us through the birth, ultimately the death of his son, that, that you are accepted, that, that I have pursued you with grace, and that I want to do you with honor. I, I want, to, I want your, my favor to rest on you and that's true for every one of us there's no one that falls through the cracks when it comes to God and his dealings with people he's a deeply personal God who is interested in every individual and longs for you to be a part of the family of God and would miss you if you were not in heaven's living room living out your eternity with him and so if you've never responded and really come to him and, and received and responded um, to the gift of the Lord Jesus and his payment on the cross. What a great Christmas. Uh, what a time to do it, to say thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for dying for me so that I could be brought into the family. This is the love of God that is demonstrated for us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning just to be recalibrated and refreshed in our thinking. We are so thankful for this name. Uh, it's a shelter like no other. 
It's the name in which, the only name by which we can be saved. And so we are just so thankful for this season of the year where we can, in the, in the backdrop of so much going on in our lives, we can, we can focus on the coming of the Savior into the world. This love gift to us, this communication from heaven, um, you've spoken through your Son and we're here this morning to say that we hear, and we're so grateful. So bless us as we go, and we just pray that you would continue to draw our hearts towards you, to fix our eyes on you and our focus on you as we look forward to this Christmas season together. Part us with your blessing, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.